rapidly coming to a close in our study of the attributes of God. And uh, as we wind down, I wanted to address the issue of God's being the true and living God, meaning that he is the one God who is real. And of course, he is a God who is alive. The theme is that the purpose of studying the attributes of God is come to come to an understanding of the living and true God. Key verses, 1 Thessalonians 1, nine, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so tonight, one of the emphases is the fact that any worship of God that is other than true spiritual worship of the true and living God is, in fact, idolatry. Additional text, Jeremiah 10.10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. Uh, At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. John 17.3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Again, all other gods are false gods. To deny, change, or corrupt the attributes of God is to not worship the living and true God but a God of one's own making. Certainly you are familiar with the verse that uh, God desires that he be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Uh, And so it is important to understand and appreciate the attributes of God, for in thus doing we worship the living and true God. It must be kept in mind that God is a person and not a concept. Thus our understanding of God must conform to the reality of who he is, And what he has said about himself. Now this is, I think, the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. It is absurd to ascribe attributes to God that are contrary to his person as it is to ascribe to you and me attributes contrary to our person. Somehow, in Christendom, truth doesn't seem to matter As it should. And I've always really wondered about that. It never made much sense to me how that doctrinal understanding and purity is so irrelevant to so many. But if we can understand that God is a is a person, that that God is living, that God is real, that he's not just a concept, but he actually exists, then our understanding of who he is, is is essential. See, it would be ridiculous if someone said, uh, I know Cal Reed, uh, he's that five foot two, blonde haired, uh, high speaking guy, right? No. It doesn't matter how passionate the person is about that. It doesn't matter how much they really believe that. It doesn't matter how sincere they are. It's just wrong. 
That's not who I am. And I think we can all understand that. Well, the same is true about God, you see. God is sovereign. And to, delay, to in any way, diminish that sovereignty, as many Christians do, corrupts who he is. That's like saying that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a, a weakling. You know, he's this uh, 90-pound sickly guy. Well, that's not who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. All right? So, we must have the right concept of who God is. And that's one of the motivating factors that uh, has caused me to enter into this study of the attributes of God. It's important that we think of him as he really is. Uh, it doesn't have much help, you see, to just simply have faith. People think that all that matters is you have faith. Just that you believe in God. It doesn't matter what God you believe in. It doesn't matter what that God is like. But as long as you have faith. Well, that's like saying all that matters is that when you take your car to a mechanic, you have faith. It doesn't matter if the person knows anything about cars or not. It doesn't matter if he's ever fixed one. It doesn't matter if he has any mechanical ability. As long as you have faith. Yeah, that's what matters. You know, just believe. And uh, say he's a mechanic. And your car will be fine. That's absurd. And the same is true of God. It matters, you see. The God that we worship. And the Old Testament is just filled with that. It identifies anything other than the true and living God as idolatry. And what we need to understand, even though we don't, in our culture, in our society, some places around the world still make graven images, but we don't. We don't. But if we fail to worship the true and living God, if we ascribe to God attributes other than what are real concerning himself, then we have committed idolatry. We have set up a God that is different from the living and true God. We must realize that for the most part, people do not reject the worship of a God, but rather reject the worship of the living and true God. It isn't that, that people fail to be religious. It's that in their religiosity, they fail to worship the true God. Israel, in all of their apostasy, in all of their rebellion, in all of their sinfulness, never ceased to be religious. Never ceased to be involved in religious activities. The problem was that God was not pleased with their sacrifice. God was not pleased with their fastings. God was not pleased with their uh, offerings. It wasn't that they were irreligious. It's that they failed to worship the true and living God. So, in what way do people reject the worship of the true and living God and enter into idolatry? Well, first, people want a God who will meet their needs. In Exodus 32, verse 1, I'm going to kind of work through this passage as illustrative. It's the narrative of Moses being on the mount, and in the meantime, the people are back down in the valley below. And uh, this is the occasion on which uh, Aaron made for them the golden calves. So I just want to work through this narrative 
and demonstrate what it teaches us. First, people wanted God who will meet their needs. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So in a time of need, people turn to God. Mankind is truly a dependent being. We, in fact, need God. You certainly see that on any crisis in our country. Um, Whether it be the Columbine shooting, whether it be the 9-11 catastrophe, as soon as anything happens, people get on the airwaves and encourage people to pray. Matters not to whom they're praying. Matters not what they believe about prayer or the God to whom they're praying. All that matters is that people are praying. And so often, even as Christians, we rejoice because we say that people are becoming more spiritual. They're not. They're not. They are just reaching out in their idolatry to a God that they want to deliver them for their need, but see, no, have no desire to serve that God, to repent of their sins, to change their behaviors, or in any way seek to honor and glorify Him. It is purely self-seeking. Purely self-seeking. People distort the truth regarding, regarding God. The acts of the living and true God are attributed to another. Exodus 32.4 And He took this from their hand, that is the gold rings and all of the things that they had had and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So there's blasphemy. Number one, they ascribed the activity of the true and living God to another, to these golden calves. And they said, these golden calves are the ones who brought you up from the land of of Egypt. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Those molten calves didn't even exist in the time that the children of Israel were brought out of the land of Egypt. They were only minutes old. They just fashioned them. They just came into being. And already they are ascribing to these golden calves the works of the living and true God. And you see, that's what idolatry does. It takes the works of the living and true God, and then applies it to a God of one's own making. Notice the golden calf was called by the name Jehovah. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Notice all capital letters. And I think you know by now that whenever the word Lord appears in all capital letters, it is the name Jehovah. The self-existent one. Now, how absurd. absurd. This is the the self-existent God. The one we just fashioned. The one you just brought your your, uh, gold to. The one that uh, we spent all afternoon putting in a a furnace and everything. This is the self-existent God. It was absurd. But you see, they wanted to identify this. As God. As God. And so, people refer to God, God the Father, Jesus Christ. 
Just because people use those names doesn't mean they have any understanding as to who that God is or who Jesus Christ is. It matters whether or not Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. So many who use that name and are religious don't believe in a bodily resurrection, don't believe that he's coming again. You see, those things matter. They make a difference. And we have gotten to the place in our culture and this pluralistic world in which we live that even the name of God doesn't matter. So someone may call him God and Islam may call him Allah. But so what? At least they're praying to a God. Is the understanding in most American minds today. But Allah is quite a different God. Allah is not a triune God. Allah is not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Allah is a false God. Allah doesn't exist. Allah is not the true and living God. Three, the whole concept of Mother Nature is attributing the acts of God to another. Mother Nature, sometimes known as Mother Earth, is a common personification of nature that focuses on the life-giving and nurturing aspects of nature by embodying it in the form of the mother. Images of women representing Mother Earth and Mother Nature are timeless. In prehistoric times, goddesses were worshipped for their association with fertility, uh, fecundity, and agricultural bounty. So, the point is, that terminology is extremely old. Mother Nature, Mother Earth. We use that. When I say we, I'm talking about Americans. I'm not talking about about you and me. But uh, we use that, that terminology. And the first question I have for you is, why is that acceptable? Why is that acceptable? You hear uh, a weather forecast. You know, there's a, a big nor'easter coming. And, uh, you know, the, the weatherman will get on there and say, well, Mother Nature is going to just douse us with 14 inches of snow. Ever heard anything like that? Sure. It's quite common. It's acceptable. Do you ever ask yourself why? Why is such foolish talk acceptable? Because everybody knows there's no mother nature. But they also know that someone is in control and it's politically incorrect to talk about a God who has done this and brought this storm. So we'll ridicule it and we will minimalize it and we will be simplistic and simply refer to Mother Nature as a way of getting around it. As a way of getting around it. Even prayers of thanksgiving offered to a God other than the living and true God is idolatry. Next, people not only want a God who meets their needs, but people want a God who condones their immorality. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And uh, that word for play there is a euphemism for all kinds of sexual immorality. This was a part of their quote-unquote worship. This was a part of their celebration. This immoral behavior. Certainly, that was not the way that 
the true and living God wanted to be worshipped. But this was a God of their own making. And so they could worship this God any way they chose. And they made that a part of their religious worship. And so we have it today. In the minds of many, you see, God does not condemn immorality. God does not find fault with any kind of uh, sexual exhibitionism or uh, loose behaviors. Um, God isn't displeased with that. Next, what is the appeal of idolatry? 2 Timothy 3.1 But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, we've just been over that in Ecclesiastes, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, and now this, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. They have a deep-seated passion and desire for pleasure more than they have a deep-seated passion and desire for God. But notice verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. They continue to be religious, even though they have lost faith and confidence in that religiosity. See, being religious is not the issue. And we live in such a post-Christian era where so many people don't even attend church anymore and aren't actively engaged in any kind of formal religious participation that we almost think that people ought to get a star for simply going to church. But you see, it's not about religiosity. It's about worshiping the true and living God. Two, the worship of a false god is senseless. One should readily understand the god they worship is false. Isaiah 2.8, their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. The God made with their own hands has been replaced by a God made out of their own imaginations. So, unlike the Old Testament era in which people were sinning, making gods out of gold and silver and fashioning them, today, at least in America, there aren't too many people sitting around fashioning gods out of gold and silver. But what they are do, doing is sitting around and imagining what God is like. Rather than to go to the scriptures and find out what God is like. They much rather create a God. One that meets their needs, satisfies their desires, and doesn't pain their conscience. And so, there is this spiritual idolatry today that is absolutely rampant. Rampant. And you know, one of my pet peeves... And I will say it again because it is a pet peeve, is the question of knowing how one should live their life. And the answer that was given a few years ago that just swept our nation is, what would, what would Jesus do? How do you answer that question? 
Most people that say that would say to themselves, what would I do if I were Jesus? And then they ascribe to Jesus a certain activity. And then they say that's what we ought to do. That becomes the standard for righteousness. As opposed to, we should follow the revealed will of God, which is delivered to us in the scriptures. And the fact that those little bracelets just overcame evangelicalism, I think, shows you how bad the church is. How, how far off we are in some of these things. B. There is no benefit to worshiping a false god. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood. For a maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. So what profit is there? And the answer is none. Habakkuk 2.19 Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a dumb stone arise, and that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see, let all the earth come to him and be taught by him as opposed to ascribing to him certain characteristics, certain attributes. Next, the false God is powerless to act. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. This graven image, what good is it? Answer none. It is powerless. It can't do anything. It doesn't exist. It isn't real. And the God to whom many people are praying is in the same category. It's not the living and true God. And what we have to remember is it is useless. It is hard for us to accept. I know it is. I know it is because of our culture. It is hard to believe that if a few miles away, somebody is sitting in a church who's calling out to God. But that God isn't the Jesus Christ who performed miracles, who was crucified, who was dead, buried, rose again, ascended up on high, and is coming again, those prayers are useless. And I won't even go to the place where they're an abomination. Detestable. Not only does it not profit anything, but God hates it. God would rather they stay home. But that's not the way many of us think about liberal churches. They'd be better off if they just closed their doors than for people to gather and worship in them. 
A false god is parasite. Well, number one, he, she is a placebo at best. You know what a placebo is? It's a sugar pill. It's a, a medication that uh, isn't real. You know, it, uh, uh, it's all in one's mind. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, they have people that uh, they do blind tests. Uh, drug companies do blind tests on people with cancer, diabetes, all kinds of things. And they give one person a medication that they really expect to do something. And they give somebody else a placebo to see what the results are going to be. And nobody expects the placebo to have any kind of results. The question is, does the real medication work? And if the real medication doesn't have any benefits that are greater than this placebo, then the real medication is of no value either. And so you've got to start over. You've got to start over. So the best thing that can come out of false worship is for people to feel better about themselves. That's the best thing. They feel comforted. Well, I prayed. I worship today. The best thing that can happen is a self-delusion that says I'm better off somehow or I'm protected or I'm benefited. But the reality is they still have that cancer. They still have that diabetes. They are fooling themselves. They are still in their sin. So a false god will disappoint. Psalm 115.8, those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You see this ongoing repetition. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jehovah. Trust in the true and living God. Trust in Him, not in anything else. Thirdly, the characteristics of being without the living and true God. And for many days, Israel was out the, without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. That is a very significant verse summarizing the moral decline of the nation of Israel. Their pilgrimage into idolatry. And notice, if you will, that it isn't saying they were without sacrifice. It isn't saying they were without worship. They moved it from the temple up until, you know, the, the, uh, the groves, the high places. And they were offering sacrifices under shade trees. But they were still religious. But what they did, you see, was, first of all, they were without a teaching priest. So, A, to depart from God will lead to a departing from the Scriptures. They were without a, a teaching priest. They weren't without priests. What they were without was a teaching priest. One who would instruct them in the law of God. One who would teach them truth about their lives and about sin. What they did was they made sure that there was no one who was proclaiming to them the Word of God. The Word of God. And so the Word of God was no longer taught without a teaching priest. Notice the New Testament 
correlation, 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They are not going to want people who preach and teach the word of God. For most, even evangelical churches today, and I know that's a wide sweeping statement, but it's a true statement. In most evangelical churches today, the preaching and teaching of the word of God is no longer the central point of the worship service. It's not an exposition of the scriptures. It's a homily, but it most often focuses more on music and testimony than it does real instructional teaching. Most places, 15 minutes is about it. You may get 20 minutes. You may get a half hour. And people are just absolutely amazed. You can ask Pastor Heller on this one when, you know, he's telling people that, you know, we, we have sermons that go 45 and 50 minutes. Well, that is, I think, a huge compliment to you that you, quote, endure that. But I would hope that it really isn't a matter of enduring. I would hope that it is really appreciated that we are hearing the word of God. That is a distinct difference in a reality of worshiping the true and living God. And so, number two, the word of God is no longer followed. So they're without law. They're without law. Notice 2 Timothy 4, 4, the next verse. And they will turn their ears from the truth. There is then a formal rejection of the truth. In the beginning, the truth is ignored. It isn't expounded. It isn't loved. It isn't desired. But if you keep walking down that road, eventually, when you encounter the truth, now you reject it because it's so foreign to your thinking and it is so unlike what we want it to be. What we want it to be. I firmly believe that the biggest objection that there is to the doctrine of election is people's emotional response to it. In their mind, it doesn't seem fair. In their mind, it doesn't seem right. And they're not going to begin to give you the time to open the scriptures to see what it really says because they just know deep down inside that that's not right. And they're not going to even sit and listen to a different opinion. That is rejection of truth. It's based on what people want it to be rather than the way God has revealed it to be. So three, when one is concerned with worshiping the true God uh, truthfully 
there's a strong emphasis upon teaching and preaching the word of God. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So here was a legitimate complaint. Here was a real problem in the church that needed to be addressed. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. This problem isn't of such a degree or consequence or crisis that we should quit preaching the word of God in order to solve this. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. So it was going to be taken care of. It wasn't just being swept under the table. But the apostles were saying, but it's not worthy of our being taken away from the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. I am extremely thankful. I can't tell you how thankful I am to be the pastor of this church. And the greatest reason for my thankfulness is because I am given ample time to prepare and study the word of God. Everybody understands that that is my primary responsibility. And you see, nobody chafes at that. Nobody says, why aren't you out doing something else? Why do you waste your time sitting behind a desk studying the word of God? There's a profit to that. There's a benefit to that. We are hearing the word of God and we are finding out the truth of who God is. And he is trustworthy and he is glorious. And I commend you that you have decided to free me up to study the word of God. Four, when one fails to worship the living and true God, the word of God becomes irrelevant. One does not look to God's word for moral direction and guidance. God's word and God himself becomes irrelevant to life. Second Chronicles 16.10, don't have time to tell you the whole story, but Asa begins as a good guy. He's a king in Israel. And Asa wanders farther and farther and farther and farther from God. And so God sends a prophet to Asa to rebuke him. Notice Second Chronicles 16.10, then Asa was angry with the seer. He just got mad. Rather than repent, rather than acknowledge his sinfulness, he got mad at the messenger. How dare you say such things to me, even though he was telling the truth. And put him in prison. For he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. When one fails to worship the true and living God, prayer becomes irrelevant. Deep down inside, one knows that the prayer to a false god is useless. 7 Chronicles 16, 11. And now, the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of kings of Judah and Israel. And in the third and ninth year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. The Lord brought this disease upon him to humble him. 
the seer, the prophet, told Asa that. Asa rejected the message and as a result did not seek the Lord. Did not seek the Lord. You see, our understanding of who the living and true God is objectively best ascertained by our dependence upon Him. We found that verse that said, again, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. If you worship the living and true God, the natural outcome of that will be to call upon Him. If God is all wise, don't you want His wisdom? If God is all powerful, don't you want His strength? If God is all knowing, won't you confess your sin and not try to hide things from Him? You see, our understanding of who God is is essential to our understanding of life and our interaction with all the circumstances that we encounter. So, number four, the nature of coming to worship and serving the living and true God. First Thessalonians 1 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, in order to come to the true and living God, we must turn from idols. We must rid ourselves of all of our false understanding of who God is. That is a huge challenge. For us as Christians to rid ourselves of all of the input of our culture, all the input of our society, all of our own reasonings, all of our own musings, all of our own desires and objectively sit down and simply say to ourselves, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach me about God and how I should react and how I should live? But that's what we must do. Turn from idols to the living and true God that's revealed to us in the Scriptures. So in order to come to the living and true God, we must come not in rebellion, but service. How we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. For He is worthy of our service. So we come to Him to find out what He would have us to do. And in that humility of saying, God, here I am to do what you would have me to do. God is truly worshipped and praised. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for who you are. And I ask that you would help us in First of all, desiring to know you personally. To not be satisfied with the images that have been handed down to us through tradition or in our own musings and our own reflections. But Lord, help us to really want to know how you are revealed in your word. Help us not to ascribe your acts, your dealings, even the benefits that we enjoy in our lives to someone else or some other thing. But may we reserve all honor and glory and praise unto whom the one it is due, namely yourself. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, 
but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and truth's sake. Oh, Lord, help us to love the truth. Help us to love the word. Help us to love to be taught, to be instructed. Lord, help us to love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, and you are dismissed.